Hello and welcome to the weekly VM Campos Comic Book Club. I'm your host, VM Campos. This is the podcast where I review a comic book new or old from my collection. And I tell you to get it or shred it based on the following factors. The cover art, interior art, plot, and enjoyability of the comic book on a scale of 1 to 5. This week I'm reading The X-Files, number negative 2. Published by Topps Comics in 1996. For the free video version of the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash vmcampos. As usual, we'll start off with a little bit of background info. Now, personally, I loved The X-Files. When it debuted on Fox TV back in September 1993, I was shook, as the kids say. It started off with a based-on-actual-events sort of disclaimer, which, you know, how that's truthful. And I was always into, I was always susceptible to sort of like supernatural, weird, esoteric, scary things. And to see this show on television about alien abductions, and this really weird guy, Fox Mulder, and the awesome Dana Scully working at the fringes of the FBI, I was, I was on board. I was sold on that very first episode. I watched the series religiously from 1993 until its end. When did it end? 1999 or so? Yeah, because it ended before the supposed end of the world in the year... What was it? 2014? The end of the world? Anyway, it's all a blur now. But I would watch the show religiously. Spoiler alert, but when Mulder died, I died inside. Interestingly, I never really read much of the X-Files comics, even though I was, of course, into comics. By the time the X-Files was out, however, I was more into Lobo comics. And then by the late 90s, I wasn't picking up comics as much as before, so I kind of missed the boat on the X-Files comics. But I did get issue number 1, 2, and 3 of the X-Files, and I was so happy to have number 11,000 out of, you know, 100,000 of, of issue number 1. There was um, there were the issue number one, two, and three. They had a, a they had printed on the cover which one out of the fifty thousand or whatever were printed, and I was happy to get my own copy. I was shocked years later to find out that actually that was a second printing, which was trash. For a long time, I thought, yeah, my issue number one, fifty dollar copy of the X Files number one. I'm gonna I'm gonna die with it in my grave. But it's actually the second printing, and not really valuable at all. Recently on eBay, I started to pick up some of these older issues for the nostalgia of it all. I also picked up issue number zero, which was a comic adaptation of that pilot episode. I might review it in the future. There was an issue negative one, which reprinted some hard-to-find stories, and an issue negative two. Little side story on negative numbers. So there had been issues number zero a few times. To my knowledge, they first really got into the public consciousness in the 90s when there was Zero Hour from DC. That was in 94, I believe, 95 or so. Uh, basically, every comic was an issue number zero to tell an origin or an alternate origin of those characters. Marvel had their own also issue number zeros for a few of their books. And they actually then did a an issue negative one a few times. 
Well, the X-Files went one step further. They went to negative two. To my knowledge, and I didn't do a whole lot of research, I apologize, I didn't see if there were a lot of negative two issues out there. Is the X-Files the only comic book in history with an issue number negative two? Uh, if you know the answer otherwise, I'd love to hear about it. And lastly, a little bit of background info on Topps Comics. This is a long-gone comic publisher that was publishing between 1993 and 1998. It was mostly licensed works. They did the X-Files comic. They did Jurassic Park. They did Zorro. They also worked with Jack Kirby in his final years to release a variety of his unpublished work from the 70s, plus new stuff. They did public domain work in terms of Dracula, Zorro. There were some original things. Lady Rawhide debuted in Zorro number three, I believe. Part of the bad girls craze of comic books in the 90s. What other original things? I think their licensed stuff is more memorable than their original stuff. In the X-Files, this was the, one of the only series that went that was published basically the whole run of the, of the publisher. Everything else lasted very few amount of issues, and then everything just collapsed by 98, as did the comic book industry. They went back to publishing only trading cards, and now Topps Comics is a footnote in history. R.I.P. But that's what I'm reading this week, issue negative two of The X-Files, and this was published in 1996. It's just, I just love the concept of it, this like weird supernatural TV show having a comic doing weird things in that there's a negative issue number two. They did that also with their X-Files album, Songs in the Key of X. That actually also has negative tracks which you can't really listen to nowadays, but you have to you have to play your physical CD in a CD player capable of rewinding back from track number one. You would have to hold the rewind button back to go back, you know, five minutes past track number one, and it would play a negative track on the CD. Oh, X-Files, I love you. Not, not to mention that there were also, like, hidden cards and stuff in the X-Files card game. Oh, X-Files. Anyway, let's get on with the review of the comic. Starting with the cover, I'm going to give the cover a 0 out of 5. No, just kidding. I'm going to give it... What do I want to give this? Okay, it's interesting. It's an interesting cover. It's black on black on black. Basically, it's a big black square. You can't see anything unless you angle the comic right at the right angle so that you can see, oh, the X-Files logo. The X-Files logo is printed in black on a black cover. How much more black can this get? None more black. And it would have been perfect if everything else about the cover were also black, but the big, bold, red Tops logo is still visible. And the issue number and the X-Files created by Chris Carter in white and the name of the two stories is still there. So on the one hand, for it being like a pure black comic book cover, that's kind of cool. That's kind of fun. That's a four out of five. For the art of it all, like, there's no art to look at, so that's a 0 out of 5, so you decide on the grade yourself. Interestingly, the the credits state cover artists Jim Salakrup and Brian Borner. And I know Jim Salakrup is more of an editor in the world of comics. I didn't know he actually did any art, but I guess he edited Brian Borner to say, yeah, make it black, put that in black and put that in black, and we got it. And they both get their credits, so that's kind of interesting. But yeah, that's that cover. The interior art, well, there are two stories, because the big idea with Issue Negative 2 is that it's publishing hard-to-find stories that were originally published in different places, not the regular comics continuity. 
So we've got a couple of artists. On the first story, The Pit, we have Charles Adler as the artist, and he was doing the usual art in the regular series. You might recognize him nowadays as Charlie Adler, famous for doing hundreds of issues of The Walking Dead comic with Robert Kirkman at Image Comics. But this is where he really cut his teeth, doing a monthly comic book over at Tops in the 90s. Letterer is John Workman, George Freeman, Laurie Smith as colorists, and Digital Chameleon as separations. Whatever happened to Digital Chameleon? I, I remember them all the time uh, in various credits throughout the 90s. The second story is The Silent Sword. That one's by Claude St. Aubin, penciler, Armando Gill, inker, John Workman, letterer and digital chameleon, color design and rendering. The art on both books is very enjoyable. It's a realistic style. The caricatures of Mulder and Scully are pretty good. They really look like David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. It does feel like a TV show. It does feel cinematic. It's a great shot in the first story of The Pit, Mulder lowering himself down into said pit with some crazy guy about to shoot someone else. He's going down. Do you hear me? They want him and they can have him. Oh, crazy guys that Mulder always encounters. There's a couple of panels where there's some narration of some entity that isn't really explained, but that's on par for the X-Files. And there's like a ghostly apparition at some point with uh, a lot of great green tones. So the environments are, are developed pretty well. Character anatomy is good. Panel layouts are good. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5, however, because it just feels... Something about it. It just... It doesn't feel like a 5 out of 5. I think Adler was starting off at this point, so his art could would still improve throughout the years. It's nonetheless enjoyable, and there's a few interesting shots and compositions, like there's a couple of lights from the entities, I guess, and um, there's some great specular highlights and reflections that look pretty good. The second story is not by Adlerd. It's by Albin and Gill, so it does look different. The, the style is, is different. The lines are thinner. The line weight is thinner in this story compared to the other one, plus the faces you can tell a different artist drew them. Some of the backgrounds are a little simplistic in terms of just simple gradients, and at other points they are a more detailed environment. I think Mulder and Scully actually look a little bit more like Mulder and Scully than Adler's work. I'll also give this a 4 out of 5. I think what also brings down to grade a little bit on, on these is that this is cheap newsprint. I think by this time, 1996, we were used to like good glossy quality paper on most comics, but Tops being a brand new independent publisher, I guess they uh, they went with the cheaper newsprint. I think the book suffers for it. When I opened it up and I read through it, I remembered, wow, yeah, newsprint used to be pretty cheap in comic books. How times have changed. The plot. Okay, the first story called The Pit by Stefan Petruja is the writer, and the second the Silent Sword is by John Rosam. The Pit was originally presented in the X-Files Magazine number 1, Winter 96, and The Silent Sword was originally presented in the X-Files Magazine number 2, Summer 96. As I said, the first story, the very beginning starts off with Chip Chip Whir Whir Crunch Crunch. There they go at it again. Chip Chip Whir Whir Crunch Crunch. You'd think I was a cure for all ills, or a piece of God's love, but I'm not. Chip, chip, whir, whir, crunch, crunch. Been at it now for 200 years. 
chip chip whir whir crunch crunch okay what i'm getting at is that that's kind of terrible writing um and it's not even resolved what that entity is or whoever is saying that in perfect english there's a shot of some sort of underground gate and the pit is about these miners that are going into a pit and there's supernatural stuff that happens ultimately nothing is resolved the two main characters besides Mulder and Scully die in the pit of course and the final frame of Mulder's camera shows some sort of hands reaching out to grab one of the guys that falls into the pit and the entity speaking one last time and it's just a matter of time my darling till someone comes knocking again chip chip whir whir crunch crunch the end so i'm used to the x-files having unsatisfying endings but i don't know why this one rubbed me even the worst way on this so this this story three out of five in such a short amount of time this is half the comic book because there's two stories here in such a short amount of time, nothing happened at all, basically. Mulder droned on about, in 1892, this happened. And in 1927, this happened. You know, trying to distract the guy so that they can gas him. That didn't work, he ends up getting killed. Spoiler alert. And then the story just ends, and uh, yeah, it's supernatural stuff, and it just ends. So that's a 3 out of 5. I thought the second story was a little bit better. The Silent Sword. Basically, a... A marketing executive buys a samurai sword at an auction and it looks like the sword is possessing him. He kills one of his rivals with the sword and the secretary and like five other people. Mulder and Scully come onto the case because Mulder talked to the curator of the of the original owner of the sword. And basically this was, this was a sword that was used to slay demons back in ancient Japan as the legend goes. And it was full of so many demons that if the samurai killed one more demon, all of those demons would come back to the earth. So the samurai kills one more demon, but then kills himself. So the demons are locked in the sword. Oh, now, you know, 200 years later or whatever, this, this Madison Avenue executive has the sword and it's possessing him to kill everyone. There's a really gruesome scene of when the cops burst in on him after he had killed a maid and her decapitated head in a pool of blood is there. He cuts off their arms in one swipe, and that's extremely bloody and shown and everything. Scully shoots him, of course. Crackshot Scully gets him. He retreats to the bathroom, where he commits seppuku. And so, yeah, this, this demonic sword was possessing someone in the modern times. But wait a minute, the curator says, that's strange. As I said, the power items in Newton's collection were not meant to be auctioned off. When Agent Mulder contacted me, about these incidents, I was alarmed, but unable to check to see that the sword was missing because it's being held in a vault with a time lock. This is not the sword of Minamoto. It appears that whatever demons Donald was hearing were his own. So that's a, that's kind of a twist ending that I like a little bit better than the first story. That this wasn't the famous sword possessed of demons possessing the new owner. This was just a plain old replica sword, but whatever was driving that executive mad to kill everyone was in himself. Which reminds us that any of us could snap at any point. So this story, I'll give it a 5 out of 5. The enjoyability of the book. Well, balancing the cover, which I think on one hand is really cool and interesting and it's a negative too, 
plus the not great story number one plus the better number two, I'm gonna go with a three and a half out of five for the full enjoyability of the book. It was it felt very short. It's even shorter than a regular comic with two stories, one story that I didn't love, and the newsprint quality of the printing. So three and a half out of five, not bad. Middle of the road, not as bad as it could be. Uh, the nostalgia factor, this is a five out of five. The X-Files, like I said, were one of the formative media that I consumed way back in the 90s. 1993, I was, I was 15 years old, perfect for those stories, those supernatural, unanswered, scary stories that I would watch on Fox at night and then have bad dreams. So that's my rating for the enjoyability. Not great, not bad, somewhere in the middle. You're more on board if you're an X-Files fan, however, probably raising it to a four and a half out of five. But for most people, I'd say this is a three and a half out of five. And lastly, should you get it or shred it? That's my cheeky way of deciding, is it worth to buy the book? If it's a new book, to get it off the shelves, or if it's an old book, get it off of eBay. I'm gonna have to say shred it, and not literally, just don't get it. Uh, don't get the book. If you're an X-Files fan, get the book. It's kind of cool to have your collection to have issue number one, then number zero, number negative one, negative two, which is what I currently have. So for the obsessive collector in me, yeah, I'm going to get this. I like the X-Files. I need to have it in my collection that just the esoteric aspect of it, a negative number two. But for a random casual uh, comic book fan, don't get it. Uh, if you're not into the X-Files, you're going to be completely lost. It's way too little comic book for too much effort to go find a, a copy on eBay at a reasonable price. I think I got these at a reasonable price, although they can get really unreasonable just because getting this in a really high grade with a black cover is a little hard sometimes, and also the esoteric nature of it being negative too. Um, I saw some people trying to sell this for $40. But, uh, you know, things are worth what people will pay for. And I didn't pay $40 for one of these. I actually got it in a lot of books, three of them, uh, where, to be honest, the, the seller really thought they were only selling me two comics, issue negative one and negative two. But they were actually selling me two copies of negative one. There were two in, in one of the bags and boards and then one in the other. So I got a good deal off of that. And if you can get a good deal off of these, okay, get it. Otherwise, besides that, shred it. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to head on over to patreon.com slash vmcampos to watch the video version of the podcast for free, and also to keep up to date with all of the stuff that I do on YouTube about comic books. I do the monthly comic haul where I review everything that I bought. That often is coupled with a giveaway. I do top lists, the top five gimmick covers, the top 20 covers of the year, etc. I do videos on Comic-Con cosplay etc you can get all of that for free by simply following on patreon so this week i read the x-files negative 2 published by tops comics in 1996 this has been the weekly vm campus comic book club and i'll see you next week